I hope that you appreciate the edit that's going to need to occur because the train is going by as we speak. Oh, nice. Well, I had some beautiful uh, meta last night, actually, because I was playing Red Dead Revolver. And not Red Dead Revolver. I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> and it's I like, had stolen like Russian roulette. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, well, uh, Red Dead Revolver was a lot of fun, too. If you it didn't was. Play Xbox it, it, original, right? Like uh-huh. the first Xbox? Oh. You need. I'll let you borrow it. I still have it, Michael. You'll, you'll have a lot of fun. Um, so, playing Red Dead Redemption, I had stolen a train and was blowing the horn on the train and then a real life train went by and also was blowing the horn so it was just this bizarre <laughs> kinship so much like you and I drinking the same flavored LaCroix I am also in a kismet cause with all the trains in the area so it's it's I'm living a well connected life now I just like that the West Valley and East Valley are connected through mm-hmm. your friendship yeah. yes and sparkling water not Speaking carbonated of- by the way because as Michael's told us, carbon is not injected into this fluid. <laughs> it's aerated. <laughs> and I think it's about a, a 4.7 on the scale for the air rate. But, <laughs> not terrible air, but pretty decent. Yes. And those are freedom units for all of you MAGA supporters out there. And on the subject <laughs> of MAGA, John's got a story for us. Oh, Michael, because you hadn't heard uh, the story of my dad asking me to buy him a MAGA hat. When my brother was getting married in Chicago over the summer, uh, the hotel we stayed at was literally across from Trump Tower. And Ugh. our window was facing it. It was disgusting. It was fucking gross. But my dad was trying to fuck with me. And he was like, would you walk across the street, take some money and buy me a MAGA hat? And I was like, absolutely not. Um... But then I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be funny, though, if I sent him one of the, like, the satirical MAGA hats, like, to the house? So, like, you'd get home from the trip and, you know, see the hat and think, like, oh, my God, my son actually did this thing. He thought of me. Uh, And I found a hat and it said, make America gay again. (laughs) (laughs) And I and I went to my mom and I I showed her. I was like, like, hey, do you think dad would be upset? Like, if I bought this hat for him. And she goes, I think if you're trying to push him to the grave even faster, that's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Yeah. So, there, yeah. <laughs> there was this really awful, insensitive T-shirt when I was growing up that I remember. It had the Trix Rabbit on it. But a, a derivation of the Trix Rabbit. And this is going to require... I'm going to censor myself so that Michael doesn't get extra work oh my for God, the evening. Yay. Thank you. But the, the phrase on the shirt was silly... F word, dicks oh. are for chicks. Oh my god! Yes, it's Ugh. awful. But now we can take that and repurpose it, and we'll disempower and empower. As the devil just flew by John's window, that was I did that see that. That was yeah, that, that was, was fun. Yeah, the that the was... actual Mothman spotted on the episode. Finally, it's actually, the Phoenix yeah, Lights. Invite him in. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the we'll just repurpose it, and we'll see. You know, we'll say silly magas. Now you know chicks have dicks. It's it's different. We'll just <laughs> we'll make... find, I think I think there's I think there's merch in there somewhere. We can yes. find it. It's yes. it's there somewhere within reach for sure. Empowerment is empowerment. What's what we're all about? I I did a whole you know lengthy seminar on it today, so I can speak from an informed place. And well, speaking that's... from an informed place by the eternal, behold, behold, it's the disinformed podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. I'm and- Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think from here on out she's just referred to as legal.
Oof. <laughs> I think I think in the canonical history of the show, she morphed into an omnipotent being known as Legal. Cut to Courtney flipping <laughs> down her little m- microphone on her headset. <laughs> oh yeah, that was Legal. Uh, uh, <laughs> We're going to cut to the disinformed war c- correspondent, Courtney, aka <laughs> Legal. No, I know. I shouldn't say that word ever again. I'm I'm well aware. <laughs> Problem about that is, is that I'm still going to do it. So, <laughs> oh lord, you can't um, stop paying me when you never started in the first place. <laughs> Shane, I know you have a topic today, but can I ask you one question? Because I I've been dying to know. Can I rebuke you for asking? Yeah, of course. Silly, um, simple shit. Yeah, I know. Have you seen the new Hellraiser? Uh, I was going to pull... A, if I didn't see the vitriolic backlash against Courtney on YouTube for having said that she felt frustrated by having to interrupt her spicy reading in order to come on the show and record, I would have told you, you're interrupting the time that I was going to devote to watching Hellraiser this evening, because I saw the ads for it today, and I was like, I can watch Hellraiser. So yeah, I I have not seen it yet. I plan to. It's in the running. Well, I look forward to talking to you about it. Oh, so you've watched it. I did. I finished it. Uh, it took me two sittings, you know. Okay, no. that's, that's how it's life is. Nowadays. Most of your good shits do. Yep, yep. <laughs> Can you imagine just watching a whole movie in two different dumps? I mean, I can. I've done it. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I definitely get like lost on it, like reading a book, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's been forty-five minutes, and I haven't cockeyed in a long time. Oh, my legs are numb. I wonder why. <laughs> all is numb. Uh, <laughs> speed <laughs> elephant that's laying on me. Thank you for the 32 leaves reference, by the way, though. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, man. I really did throw that out there. I was like, it's like he's going to get it. He's going to get it. And then it fell, and it was silent. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, it was like the, the prophecy was unfulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> the prophecy was a lie. You were supposed to bring me together, not tear me apart. <laughs> you were supposed to bring balance to the force. I don't I don't know how to respond. I can't be that wooden even if Turn I try. Turn around. <laughs> well, anyway, so this is the last episode of the mm-hmm. show to yep, ever. We really exist. appreciate y'all being here. I had a dollar uh, every time I heard that. You would well, probably actually get paid more from that than where you were working before. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know where I'm going to start working is men's warehouse because apparently it's a very lucrative business. But <laughs> Yeah, it must be fucking nice. Oh, you didn't need a jacket, but you know what? You could use a jacket. I'm going to charge you for a jacket. So, much like Phil Collins, your wedding is no jacket required. I can't believe we're not jacking it right now. Oh, I'm jacking it. Everybody's jacking it. I don't need hands to jack it. Where are going? Oh, well, we plan to remove your hands later then. Ooh, sign me up. You doubt my power um (laughs) so in any event this is not necessarily the last episode 
<laughs> that is my Oof. caveat for everything as we go forward. But for those uninitiated amongst you who are going to have both the bookend of your first and last podcast for us, uh, what we typically do on the show is we like to delve into a random esoteric topic, and in the course of explaining it, we lie about it a little bit. That is the shtick. It's a lot of fun. But of course... Even though the co-hosts are expected to try to ferret out the lies as they listen, even if they don't get it, we have a denouement at the end of the episode. We explain where the fibs were and where the crawdads sing. And uh, it's a delightful time for all involved parties. So I'm told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure your correspondence is delightful these days. But uh, what we are going to get into is I'm finally going to live up to another prophecy, staying on topic, uh, that uh, we had from the first sort of germination of this show back in the day, because Michael was going to have this purely be a science-slash-history podcast where he talked about all of the things that get panties moistened across the nation science and history <laughs> that's what it was called panties science and histories Panty science history 3000 yeah <laughs> and, i wish i was that funny it was the horniest podcast you've never listened to and you will never listen to it and I you're all the better for it i assure you but uh we're gonna get into something that actually interested me and i have been on an uh a weird serpentine route of expanding my consciousness, so I do an awful lot of trivia these days on my own accord, and just try to get myself to to remember some things, and some of them are valuable, others are not. Uh, The fact that I can rattle off every Stephen King book ever written in the course of under 10 minutes repetitively is, is, you know, something that I'm very proud of. The fact that I can name, you know, 57 different Brad Pitt films in a sitting is also something something I value, but I have also taken on a task of trying to learn the names of all of the presidents that have existed. Okay. Meanwhile, Melissa is like holding your hand and she's, she's whispering almost a whimper of it's, it's a feature, not a bug. 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 I I don't understand your joke, nor do I get the reference. (laughs) Oh, no. Science. (laughs) So, uh, in any event, because of my study of the presidents, it is noted on the quiz that I do that there are any number of presidents that have died in office, and some of them by unnatural causes. And so, this evening, we are going to be discussing the assassination of William McKinley. Ooh. Now, John, okay. William McKinley was the 25th president of the United States. You know, I was wondering if it was the 24th or 27th. It's okay. I'm sure you were. Yeah, yeah. You get those confused. It's a big number. I actually can't remember who those were, so I couldn't make a joke <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. No, I'm going to go ahead and just be real with you. I am dog shit at remembering the presidents. Okay, well, uh, apparently you're not going to remember who uh, when William Howard Taft served that. No. He served that bathroom the 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 bath very well didn't he get stuck in his his bathtub once or something <laughs> the like that Taft bath yeah no they had to design it because he was uh, so huge it, That's yeah they called it, it was. The, the tactical bath right oh yes bath. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the, the hose it's the the taft tactical bath <laughs> trademark 
Yes. Looking forward to that. Involves very large scrub brushes and oh. elephants. It's a, it's a grand time. But uh, I will start by saying we have eight lies in the episode this Dear evening. Lord. Because oh. uh, Michael is a purported expert, and so we are going to play See What Michael Remembers About American History. And it's, it's going to be a grand time. How about every time you don't get a lie, you pay us back for the rentals? <laughs> <laughs> Well, considering I have next to no money, that that's going to be hard. Mm. So then you'd have incentive to do really well. There's only one thing I know about his assassination, and I think I know it. So we'll see if All it right. gets Sorry, you're, you're not well, supposed to if, say smash or smation. I was going to say, if Michael put his money where his mouth was, he would still be no less decipherable to those listening. So we're just going to leave him as is. Okay, so the wager is not in play. It's in play. It's no. I, I'm considering it in play, regardless. Uh, I, I told my exact phrase to Melissa. This is off-air fodder, and I'm not trying to dogpile Michael, but as I came home from that, I mentioned, I said, you know, I don't feel bad about having not paid for this podcast for the past several years now, because he got it all from me in one lump sum, and uh, it mean, was all a, done just out of me thinking I was being a good friend. It's a nice way to look about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So congratulations. You finally got me. Uh, you're you still paid, going son. to be receiving my invoice for my eardrums for the past several weeks, though. So we'll see whether who who comes out on top in the end. As someone that had to listen through those episodes often in order to get shorts from them, I understand. Yes, yes. I, I'm readily waiting for that invoice. It's going to be big. <sighs> True if big. It's going to be huge. Big. Huge. So, uh, on the subject of loudmouth asshole presidents, William McKinley, the 25th president of the... I'm kidding. McKinley was a marvelous human being, and I'll explain why. Uh, <laughs> so the 25th president of the United States was shot on the grounds of the Pan-American Exposition at the Temple of Music in Buffalo, New York, on September the 6th, 1901. Six months into his second term in office, making him the third U.S. president to be assassinated. For context, and this is where Michael is going to be very important, in September of 1901, McKinley was at the height of his power as president. Originally elected in, 19, in 1896, see, now I'm flipping years around, too. So, uh, 1986, 1896. The, the Reagan years or McKinley? You oh, decide. I, I know which one I would choose. Is, is it true that he's the third? Yes. Who was the second? Uh, I know Lincoln, obviously, but... I, I I'm thinking uh, if it's not it's Garfield, Garfield, no, yeah, it was I, Garfield because mm-hmm. he was in the the eighties, eighteen eighties, yeah, not the Reagan years. No, no. <laughs> so Let's see, it was James Garfield. Yes, bless him. The cat yeah. hates hates Mondays, loves lasagna. lasagna. Well, see, that's the fun thing about trying to get mnemonics to remember presidents' names. Those are the easy ones. You're like, okay, Garfield, Cleveland, Hoover. You know, these are are a little easier to pin down than going like, okay, McKinley. That's not necessarily yeah. one you readily run. And then you know, Henry's or uh, Ulysses S. Grant, which we will have a, a little discussion about later on. Oh. 
Yes. I mean, I, it's been discovered. If you have some war conquests to your name and you have been a general in any way, shape, or form, you tend to have a better presidency as far as being remembered. You think yeah. of like Eisenhower or yeah, like Grant. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And then another person who is going to be a vice president under McKinley that mm-hmm. we'll be talking about later, who Those kind of supersedes riders. him in recollection purely based on his military exploits. Not necessarily because mm-hmm. he was a great president, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll move that into another little slant here. But in any event. <laughs> Uh, elected in 1896 during the serious economic depression resulting from the Panic of 1893, which Michael is going to explain to us now. I bet a lot of people just bet on the wrong horse, and that's why there was a depression. <laughs> we were having yes. a lot of entanglements uh, down in the, the sort of regions where Spanish, uh, you know, the Spanish Empire was holding province, essentially. Okay, so I was like, Cuba, having a lot of... That didn't happen yet, though. The... Well, this is the offset that okay. kind of beget that, is we it. had okay. been investing some, some time and money in trying to help cultivate things in that region, and it didn't quite suss out the way we expected. <laughs> so, uh, of course, McKinley defeated his Democratic rival, William Jennings Bryan, in order to be elected. Which, um, call back, he was in um, an old, old episode involving mm-hmm. the monkey trial. Indeed. Yes. And we loved him for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinley, of course, then led the nation both to a return, uh, to a return, a return to prosperity and to victory in the Spanish-American War, which took place in 1898, and took possession of such Spanish colonies as Puerto Rico and the Philippines. Okay. So then, re-elected handily in a rematch against Bryan in 1900, and there's a good old just slobber knocker of back-to-back elections. I, how many times has that happened? I don't recall individuals that ran directly in opposition to one another, you know, multiple times. I can't recall any, like, It doesn't reason. stand out, right? No, no. Usually when they fail the first time, they do something else. Yes. So. <laughs> My Pivot. extensive knowledge, yeah. I also can't recall. Oh, strange. Hmm, I wonder why. Yeah. Thank I you, mean, Arizona Education System. Uh, John is a noted historian. For those of you who do not know, you ask him about new metal. He can detail everything that occurred in the movement. Oh, I can, yeah. Mm-hmm. Didactic memory on that one. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, much more important history than what we're talking about, so. He's an eye detector, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, according to historical writer Eric Rauschway, It looked as if the McKinley administration would continue peaceably unbroken for another four years, a government devoted to prosperity. That's what you'd expect from a Republican. But uh, in any event, McKinley's original vice president, Garrett Hobart, had died in 1899 of a tetanus infection. And thus, McKinley left the choice of a running mate to the 1900 Republican National Convention, which is always an excellent idea. You tell me who my running mate should be. Is this when Republicans were good and Democrats were evil? 
I mean, you can argue either direction at uh, any given time. Yeah. I don't think that <laughs> it, it, there's like a, a thumbs up, thumbs down on this scoring. Yeah. I mean, but I think like, we've all agreed that they're just bastard-coded bastards all the way through. I mean, Americans in general are bastard-coded bastards, and so you can extrapolate from that however you wish. Whatever okay. your political ideation is, you're still an American, so get fucked. But <laughs> yeah, either either way, I it's mean, not a good look. Yeah, not wrong. But in terms of evolution, the difficulty is is that, you know, previously the Republican National Convention elects someone who is like Theodore Roosevelt, and then flash forward and we have a woman from Alaska who can't speak in sentences. So, you know, evolution. Poor McCain. Uh, potato, tomato. Yeah. Hey, she could see Russia from her backyard, so... She certainly could, and I'm sure that Russia is in fact her backyard now with the way that we're trying to wrestle, but... Ugh. We have nuclear weapons. <laughs> we will set them vessels? off wherever we like. <laughs> I have no shirt and am on horse, so be scared. Mm. Be KG with KGB. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'm bad guy doesn't make me bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Igor in, the <laughs> in advance of the 1900 Republican National Convention, New York's Republican political boss, Senator Thomas C. Platt, saw an opportunity to politically sideline his state's governor, former Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Theodore Teddy Roosevelt, by pushing for his nomination as vice president. Roosevelt accepted the nomination and was elected on McKinley's ticket. And thus, we flash forward to the Buffalo Pan-American Exposition, which boasted everything from a nine-ton elephant, assorted biological rarities, including the Salon Sisters, which were congenital twins billed as two-headed a two-headed woman, which the pictures are delightful. I'm sure you'll enjoy those later on. And Madame Gustica of the Duckbill tribe. And this is something that existed in reality, gentlemen. Okay. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, hurts to hear. She has, uh, yeah, of course, extended mouthpieces in the upper and lower lips as, you know, very large plates and was something that was typically seen in the freak shows. But little is known about Madame Gustica specifically, aside from the assumption she was from a tribe in Ethiopia, where the practice of lip stretching remained popular into modern times. Acting as a key feature in the African village section of the expo grounds, which, since Michael knows this very well, I'm sure, was abutting the 389-foot electric tower, which was powered by Niagara Falls. Liquid hot magma. Indeed. Magma. <laughs> also, Madame... was the, the lip stretch bullshit? No. Or the, the okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, she actually did have plates in her lips. I'll, okay. I'll show you some pictures. They're delightful. Um, and so, uh, next to the electric tower, which was powered by the nearby Niagara Falls, Madame Gustica waved to onlookers as they floated by on their gondolas, which is a key feature of the Pan-American Exposition for those who are completely unfamiliar. Think of, like, the, the Stark Expo, something very similar, but they had a little ravine that ran around the entire thing, and so all of the onlookers could ride by on little gondolas and see all of the things that were on display. Like, it's a beautiful world? 
or it's a small basically world. it's a small <laughs> world yeah, yeah very similar it's like it's uh, epcot it's it's uh old-timey epcot but think of like a 400 foot tower in the 1800s like that's an impressive sight generally I'm, I'm surprised people weren't trying to banish it back to like hell or something or exercise it <laughs> just Begone, charging at it like demon. yeah like don quixote just tilting <laughs> at the tower <laughs> uh so Few attractions on display, however, generated as much excitement as the two-day visit of President William McKinley. The 58-year-old was fresh off guiding the United States' victory in the Spanish-American War. For John, and I have this in the notes as a dedication, uh, the Spanish-American War, which was from April 21st to August 13th of 1898, was a period of armed conflict between, of course, Spain and the United States. Uh, the hostilities began in the aftermath of the internal explosion of the USS Maine in Havana Harbor in Cuba, leading the United States' intervention in the Cuban War for Independence. And that kind of shakes all of that out. Okay. Uh, America won, strangely enough. Go hmm. figure. We're number uh, one. We're uh, number one. America. And that war did feature the fabled charge or battle of San Juan Hill, which is where Theodore Roosevelt gained his great military acclaim, which is important to note. Uh, of course, this also later led to the United States involvement in the Philippine region and then later to the Philippine-American War. And I can see Michael's nipples getting erect as I say this. Ah, uh, colonialism. Mm. We're actually talking. <laughs> I like how you I couldn't sell it. That. I love how you couldn't inflection. sell that. I love that the moment you tried to swallow that you couldn't. I couldn't. I I, um, I was debating between colonialism or imperialism, mm -hmm. and I, I I I jumped on the colonialism Por train. Que no los dos. Admittedly, oh, yeah. both are I hard mean, to swallow. Oof. Well, not for, not for not for the you know people in charge for also not for those beheaded but uh, moving on also true <laughs> so of course as mckinley was entering his second term in office as one of the most popular chief executives in decades and thus on september the 5th a record crowd of 116,000 filed into the world's fair to watch mckinley give a speech that same really? that, that well, yes, one hundred sixteen thousand people. Lord, there wasn't much going on otherwise. I, I mean, mean if true. you consider it's... the menial sort of ennui of reality at the time, like if yeah, this president sure. is speaking, you want to go check it out, right? You're, you're either getting hopped up on opium or morphine if you can, or maybe some cocaine if you're mm -hmm. rich enough, or you're just dying in the mines, or you're just so... scrambling around suffering from ergot poisoning. That's also Ergit. true. Doing the Ergit, Ergit. jingle. Ergit. Uh, Ergit, Ergit damn near killed it. Yes. I know, I know, I know. Yes. I finally caught up to the last pod jokes with that. I oh, had, had heard you. it in Michael's episode first and then finally got around to yes. their jokes. So nice. it's fun time. It's a good in any event, okay. that same evening, the expo put on a patriotic firework display that culminated with a burst of pyrotechnics that spelled out the words, Welcome, President McKinley, Chief of Our Nation and Our Empire. And Prince of Our Hearts. And first of his name yeah mother of dragons uh prince of the the high tides of green grass and uh eating ass led zeppelin albums i want to say that's bullshit but i know not. it's not no yeah we we're not really i mean america's still figuring out how 
big of an asshole we are, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, oh, we that's can fair. Fly we're, so we're high. starting to like flex our muscles, be like, you know what? Who 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 can we interfere with? We Whose had, elections can we overturn? Who? We, we had found the big stick. We just weren't speaking softly yet. So. Y- yes, we were speaking bigly, not softly. Yeah, there we go. All right. So uh, McKinley's final scheduled appearance at the expo began the following day, September the 6th, when he attended a public meet and greet at a theater called the Temple of Music, which is someplace I obviously would like to spend a little time. Yes. I would prefer the Temple of the Dog, but that's just a personal preference. I'm going hungry. (laughs) I like that you left me to do the Chris Cornell part. That's not happening. Uh, If by that I mean strangling myself to death, then yeah, I might try to take it up, but I can't well, sing those notes. You're like, game That's what respect I tried to game. Do. Yeah. <laughs> to the family of Chris Cornell, I am sorry. I did not intend to offer offense. You're uh, right. I forgot about that. I thought you were just saying he had to strangle himself in order to get the high pitch, but yeah, you're right. Never mind. No, yeah, you no. just explained the horrific... Uh, on a live joke, yeah. No. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm over here dying in obscurity, so uh, I, uh, who am I to criticize, right? Uh, sold more records than I have. Which I is not a difficult one. hurdle to clear on our front, I'm Sell afraid, one but... song, and you have outpaced me, my friend. But you know what? It's like a tortoise in the hair thing. Oh. <laughs> well, I shave, so... Uh, you just wait... And, if I if I if I'm cursed to eighty, I'll be eighty one years old or eighty one years fun, and and then they'll be like, "Whoa, there's this like really old ass song. It kind of really fucking sucks, but it sucks so much that it's good. It's from two thousand and nine. It's, it's a like a black hole of charisma. Down. Ooh. Oh wow, <laughs> black hole sun. I love that song. I'm gonna listen to that instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what we're trying to say is to bring it back to Temple of the Dog. If we Please. were relying on our music in order to keep us fed, we'd be going hungry. So we would, we would. Call uh, me McKinley. a dog. Yeah. Quit it. You want to reach out and lift the crowd up. Uh, so when, of course, he attended the Temple of Music meet and greet, the affable commander in chief rarely missed an opportunity to meet his constituents and rub shoulders and other things. Of course. Mm. But this particular event had worried his staff members, some of whom feared that an assassin might take the opportunity to strike. The president's personal secretary, George B. Cortelieu, and yes, (laughs) it's as fun as it sounds. If you Cortelieu, you're going to clean it up. Uh, in any event, had tried to cancel the reception on not one, but two separate occasions, and ultimately both times McKinley insisted that it remain on the schedule. How many times do I have to tell you, stop canceling my shit? I have a death wish. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not referring to Charles Bronson films, but... Despite the sweltering late summer heat, a long line of people, because again, 116,000 strong, had waited outside the Temple of Music when the reception began at 4 p.m. As the theater's organist played a Bach sonata, I don't know why that is relevant, but they've included it. Oh, very. Uh, sets the stage, sets the scene. I can just imagine what's going on now. Just go box yourself. Yeah, describe it then. 
You can imagine I mean, it so well. It's more than the feeling. If you don't understand a simple box sonata, like I can't really emphasize that without well, singing one myself, you, and I'm not going to try to do that right can now. Can you just for like science? Can you try? Can you just well, try to hum? I'm not can you approach up. it? I don't. Can a man say, approach the sunrise? Yeah, exactly. Just, and Bach is the sunrise. If you've Michael, heard any of his sonatas, he magnificently. Michael, the fans want to know. We're going to stick with Bachman Turner Overdrive then, and just yes, okay. more than the feeling. Mm. Fine. You let the streets down, Michael. <laughs> because, because I couldn't emphasize a box sonata. I couldn't yeah, describe it. Because I let the you streets couldn't down. do that. Right. You let the streets down. That's, that's what I hear on the streets is box sonatas. <laughs> I was like, a box sonata sounds like a dance move. No, no. The thing is, is that box sonatas is on the streets. And obviously, you're not from the streets because you can't hum along to it. No, I'm I'm streets behind in that case. Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, it's it's failing me, and unfortunately, but I was going to say, what are you? Um, it's the producer that used to date um, Barbara Streisand. Is like, what are you, Peters? It's oh, like, yeah, f- I'm from the streets. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, god damn it! No, okay, that's my favorite part I, of Licorice Pizza. I have there, to say, like, there we go. The, there we the go. film that's was entertaining, but the fact that they included, I'm just forgetting his his first name, but yeah, uh, John Peters. So John Peters famed as uh, Kevin Smith tells a fun story about John Peters, who was going to produce a Superman film. Peters famously produced Batman, the 89 uh, Burton one. Oh, okay, Hell yeah. But as uh, Kevin Smith went in to pitch him about a Superman film, John Peters said, you know why you and me are going to do a good job on on Superman? Kevin's like, no, why? He says, because you and me, we're from the streets. <laughs> and Kevin Hell Smith's yeah. I- I- Im- inimitable line is this: "I'm from suburban New Jersey, and you're an ex hairdresser. I don't know how close to the streets we are at all." Like, but the fact that they included him referring to being from the streets in Licorice Pizza made me like blow snot. I was so excited. <laughs> and Bradley yeah. Cooper was exemplary doing that. He was. Far too much fun. In any event, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's a good, okay. brilliant performance. In any event, uh, back to the box sonata. The visitors slowly filed inside, many of them eager for a chance to meet the president and shake his hand. I don't know why I suddenly turned into Christopher Walken there. Many of them. Near the right front ass. of the line stood 28-year-old Leonzo Goes. Probably shouldn't have done the first uh, depiction of his name. Uh, Leon (laughs) Zolgoz, a shy and brooding former steelworker. An avowed anarchist, Zolgoz had arrived in Buffalo only a few days earlier and purchased a thirty-two caliber Ivor Johnson revolver. The same type of weapon, it turns out, that another anarchist had used to assassinate the Italian King Filiberto III the previous summer. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that Hell bullshit? Qua? Yeah. Qua? Bullshit. He said it with an accent and a wrong emphasis. Oh, did I? He well, was no 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 no. My sincere my sincere John apologies. was trying to call it bullshit. Yes. And and what were you trying to call a bullshit on? That it also was used Nope. Same weapon oh, was utilized okay. in that assassination. Okay. Was it that assassination? Now now I'm just yes. like trying to root around. It was the same one used in that assassination. Was it the previous summer? Did yeah. we know what that person did last summer? You do, in fact. He had an excellent one. As you rolled was told a 20 for the first time in your life. <sighs> no, porque no los dos. Uh, so, 
He now waited with the gun wrapped in a white handkerchief and concealed inside his jacket pocket. For those of you who are fans of The Godfather Part 2, just envision. Fuck, I still need to see it. Oh my god. I've done Part (sighs) 1. All right. Well, for all of you cultured folks out there, I'm sure you'll know what I'm referring to. Sorry, Michael. I I knew I wasn't cultured. Yeah, we've known this for quite some time. Exactly. (laughs) I don't have expectations anymore. It's it's perfect. Yeah, he also thought there was a king named Filiberto III. So in any event. God damn it. (laughs) So he now waits with his gun wrapped in a white handkerchief and concealed inside his jacket pocket. It was in my heart. There was no escape for me, Zolgos later said. A doctor removes an infected limb to save the body, and thus I, too, sought to remove a canker to save the American soul. I'm making him a bit more ominous from a guy from Detroit, but uh, in any event... (laughs) He probably said it in like a high pitch. He probably said it like this. Okay, allow me to reconfigure. A doctor removes an infected limb to save the body, and thus I, too, sought to remove a canker to save the American soul. (laughs) I like that you're turning him into Princess Bride characters. Yes, I'm happy to. (laughs) So, as I indicated, Zolgos was actually born in Detroit, Michigan in 1873, the son of Polish immigrants. History has not documented whether he grew up on 8 Mile and dated Brittany Murphy, but we can assume. Done. I don't want to rip Brittany Murphy. She was a wonderful human being. She was. I refuse to hear anything about it. And if you say anything to the contrary, you're clueless. But... (laughs) God damn you. <laughs> she was also in uh, The Prophecy, which uh, was one of my absolute favorite moments uh, um, in that film. Wasn't she in Butterfly Effect, too? Uh, yes, she was. As disturbing yeah. as that film was. And thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, but uh, that that made me like despondent because I saw the director's cut first, as we've oh, talked same. about. It, yeah. that, if you want a, like a no good feelings movie, there you go. Yeah. If you want to just have that there's no redemption arc at all in life and you should probably if your life was better with you out just, like out of it entirely that's I don't know like why I, I care to know these things but let's see real quick. Okay. Michael if you don't know and for those of you who are interested in the film I, I apologize. Spoilers for a 20 year old film. Um, it ends with Ashton Kutcher who's, who we all know and love. Um, his character goes back because he's able to kind of time travel yeah, yeah, and see yeah. the impact of his existence. Goes back in time and and, uh, yeah, yeah. Strangles yeah. himself in um, utero with the, the you know, cord, the umbilical yeah. cord, which I'm like, Hell that's yeah. just also, much, I, man. I uh, my I'm, favorite line no, um, that I always misremember was when he was in jail. I saw it years ago. Okay. Um, blood I on the assumed. Stir- um, what was it? Shit on the dick or blood on the stick? I know it's blood <laughs> on the knife, but I always remember it is that. <laughs> um. I was looking up the Rotten Tomato scores for Butterfly Effect oh, just out of pure curiosity. The 2%. And it's, it's one of those really curious ones where the tomato Five. meter is 34%, so it's uh-huh. a splat, but the audience score is 81%. Also, so we don't have to do this next week, you and I were wrong, it's Amy Smart in that movie. <gasps> oh, you're right. Murphy. Okay. 
No, this is. Uh, she was in another film. She was in Just Married with uh, with Ashton Kutcher. There we fucking go. See the That's six why, degrees see, of Ashton. We, you Kutcher. led me astray. I followed you, and I shouldn't have. You should never. <laughs> I, I've learned my lesson. So now we've completely diverted from assassination attempt in the 1800s to Ashton Kutcher's fucking filmic credits. It's what I was just saying. Six degrees of Ashton Kutcher. Somehow, Oof. some way, he is responsible for this assassination. <laughs> Yeah, if he has six degrees, they're all burn marks. But I, I feel like uh, I feel like Chris and Sopranos pitching the thriller movie. <laughs> so yes, it's it's going to be called Cleva. Yeah, I like the bit too. Sorry, not to derail. I like the bit in that show where they start just handing out merchandise for the movie. Uh huh. And there's a uh, I have like three or four episodes of the whole show left now. Uh, and there's a scene where he's handing the hat to somebody. He goes. Oh, you probably what? What do you want? The fucking DVD instead of the free merch? I I don't know. Weird um, shit in that show gets under my skin for some reason. Now you watched the the um the Saints, right? Many Saints? No, I'm waiting until I'm done okay. The I was show. gonna say yeah, because there's there are definitely series spoilers for that. Uh, okay, so yeah. Glad, okay, good. I'm glad yeah. you didn't. Nice. Uh, all right, moving on. Anyway, back on track. Back to Detroit and good old Leon Zolgoz. Leon was, of course, the son of Polish immigrants in Detroit, and the Zolgos family moved several times as Paul Zolgos, Leon's father, sought work throughout the Midwest. As an adult, Leon worked in a Cleveland factory until he lost his job in a labor dispute in 1893, hence the anarchy. Uh... Therefore, he worked irregularly and attended political and religious meetings, trying to understand the reason for the economic turmoil of the Panic of 1893. In doing so, he became interested in anarchism. By 1901, this movement was feared in the United States, and strangely enough, still is. Huh, I wonder why. Go Maybe figure. it's all the bombs and killing czars and all this other fun stuff. Oh, I thought it was just the Guy Fox masks, but... Yeah. You know, potato, uh, tomato, mm. as you like to say. Remember, mm. remember the potato, tomato. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> so, uh, by 1901, the movement was, of course, feared, and New York's highest court had ruled that the act of identifying oneself as an anarchist in front of an audience was a breach of peace. <laughs> okay, so one... Well, I, I don't want it to be bullshit, but is it bullshit? It is not bullshit. Two, when no. you say the highest judges and then you say that conclusion, I don't think high in office. I think literally high at their job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't illegal yet. That That's like a good 20, 30 years into the future. Yeah, so. there's still what? There's still morphine the in Coca-Cola. is still yeah. okay for now. Now, uh, if you read the Anarchist Cookbook, they will show you how to properly prepare the devil's lettuce for consumption it's delightful uh in any event moving on anarchists had of course then taken a toll in uh europe by assassinating or attempting assassinations of a half a dozen officials and of course members of royal houses as michael was alluding to and had subsequently been blamed for the 1886 haymarket bombing in chicago and john you being a, a proponent of studying everything about chicago i know you've heard about this right Oh, I practically invented it, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, You're the older than I am. The pizza shops were all closed for the whole day. It was terrible. Yep. I couldn't go see the guys at Zuba's that evening, or Shuba's. 
Either Boobas. or, really. It, I mean, it depends on the night, the, the time of night. It, it starts Shubas and then goes Zubas. All I just know is poor Michael, uh, because that company nuts on Clark every single time I land in the airport. Uh, you are not the only person that points that out to me. <laughs> every time I know someone that somehow visits the Chicago, is, they're like, huh, "Is that nuts now?" Nuts on Clark. <laughs> I I don't know how many times I've flown to that airport in the past like six years, uh, but literally. Every single time now, it's almost like I'm destined to land in the same gate over and over again, which is, it makes sense, you know, with routing, but whatever. But just every time I see nuts on Clark, I've seen it at four o'clock in the morning. I've seen it at four o'clock in the afternoon. Always makes me laugh and think about nutting on your face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, the nuts on your the nuts on Clark. Yeah. Well, oh, the one you find in yours, the one you find in a Clark bar. Yes. Oh, God, you thought I meant something gross. Like my face? That's pretty <laughs> Shut gross. The, okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, well, this whole bloody episode's gone nuts, apparently. <laughs> Last episode ever. Hashtag. Bleh. So. <laughs> speaking of nuts, two American presidents had, of course, been assassinated in the 19th century. I will change to give that the gravitas it actually fucking deserves. Uh... <laughs> Naturally, of course, the one everybody knows and remembers, the famed Abraham Lincoln assassination in 1865. that guy. Yeah. And then, as we alluded to earlier, James Garfield in 1881. So it was it was catching. The 1800s were a dangerous time to be an American and most certainly, uh, you know, an American president. With but, that amount uh, of changeover, that's like, oh, I... I'm in the last 50 pages of Dune, so no spoilers, but there's mm. a lot of that kind of stuff happening mm-hmm. in the last 100 pages of that book. A lot of quick, quick assassinations, if you will. Yeah. I like that you say that you're in the, the last 100 pages and not taking into account that there are multiple books that you still have to read in order to conclude the saga. Oh, if, I, if I'm curious, Oof. if I'm curious, I'm just going to YouTube things. And, and- uh, I would not. I really <laughs> wouldn't recommend that. And I will say Aww. at least finish uh, the Sandworms of Dune and the the Sand or, or um, there's another one of. But in any event, the those two of the Kevin Anderson Brian Herbert books are necessary, and you don't have to understand all of the other stuff that came by to just get the conclusion of the story. It's it's worth it as a payoff. I okay, assure you. Okay, fine. Fuck. Yeah, because that it actually is based on his notes. So that's they right. That's do right. Because it was supposed to be another trilogy, right? Essentially, yeah. God so it's it's God. worth it to figure out because there's a, a character arc that is necessary for you to complete. Duncan fucking Idaho. Indeed. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So moving on. Speaking of Duncan Idaho and things being brought back from the dead, even considering this history of assassination, of course, McKinley didn't like security personnel to come between him and the people he enjoyed those elbow rubs Mm. and thus when in his hometown canton ohio he often walked to church or the business district the business (laughs) district without protection Two no condoms allowed. You don't, <laughs> want, you, you don't want to go to the dick trick without protection. Indeed, if you're, if you're going to be rubbing with the people, you need to, you know, just be raw dog and everything. I mean, that's how you get reelected, re-erected. Re- ooh, it's the Clinton administration all over again. Oh no! Dick trick in any event. <laughs> well, it was only a hundred years off, so it wasn't too far out. Hey, well, yeah. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> and how? And subsequently, while in Washington. McKinley often went on drives with his wife, also without any guard in the carriage. 
So, McKinley's anxious staff, knowing his general proclivities, then added police and soldiers to his entourage by, uh, you know, trying to bolster him somewhat. However, the security detail took little notice as Zolgoz strode up to the president around 4.07 p.m. Apparently, he was, you know, just a non-discriminating individual. Uh, when McKinley smiled and extended his hand, Zolgoz raised his pistol, still wrapped in its white handkerchief. And he held it sideways and- like this. No. Oh, no. <laughs> nobody, nobody does that. <laughs> And, of course, fired two shots at point-blank range. We'll be a little grave here because this obviously warrants it. We are talking about someone's death. So, uh, as depicted here, there was an instant of almost complete silence, like the hush that follows a clap of thunder, the New York Times later wrote. The president stood stock still, a look of hesitancy, almost a bewilderment on his face. And then he retreated a step while a pallor began to steal over his features. The multitude seemed only partially aware that something serious had happened. So, now with that out of the way, we'll return to our usual frivolity because we can't grieve forever. The stillness was only broken when Richard Big Dick Hertz, a tall African-American man who had been waiting in line, punched Zolgos. Wait, Big Dick? Was that part of his official title? (laughs) I had to give you one layup here. I was trying to help (laughs) out. I was like, do you really think Big Dick Hurts is anybody's name? (laughs) You know, it was the first stand up comic. That's not the case, but I wish. I really wish. So the the individual's actual name is James Big Jim Parker. Same thing. And I refused to stand still for that. So I thought Big Dick Hurts. We're just (laughs) going to throw that in the mix here. Not my joke either. I can't take credit for that one. That's a professional wrestler referred to himself as that for for quite some time. Okay. All right. So James Big Jim Parker, of course, uh, had been waiting in line and then punched Zolgos, preventing him from firing a third shot at the president. And subsequently, a host of soldiers and detectives then also pounced on the assassin, beating him to a pulp. It took an order from McKinley himself, actually, before they finally stopped, dragging Zolgos from the room. Is that actually true, that he he ordered or had to to call it off himself? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, So, as I say, by then, blood was actually pouring from the president's stomach and darkening his white formal vest. And McKinley was heard to say... I want no further violence visited upon that man, he managed to gasp at Cortelieu. Revenge is a turnstile no man escapes from. He said, your mom's a fucking hoe, too, by the way. That's that's like the complete opposite of what he was trying to say. (laughs) He just threw it on there just to be tough. Yeah, no, it doesn't strike me as the sort of thing that William McKinley would say. Don't touch this man. Also, by the way, your mom's a hoe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't you, didn't you, or haven't you ever seen, like, someone who pretends like they're tough and, like, has someone make, like, help them pretend like they're lunging, but they're both holding each other back? 
I mean, John, I, I live with you. I understand. Twice. Yeah. Like yeah. I, the fact that he's speaking at all, people are like, damn, this guy's a badass. He just got shot and he's telling the, telling people not to beat the shit out of the dude that shot him. Uh-huh. That's right. And he's looking, he's looking <laughs> also, at this guy in the, the eyes. Yeah. He's looking at this guy in the eyes and he's saying this stuff. He's like, I just got shot. I'm, I'm dead. What but is he? I, I know one thing resolutely. My last words. Your mom's like, this a guy, hoe. His mom. A hoe. I love John is depicting <laughs> William McKinley as fucking Terry Funk. <laughs> Your mother's a whore. Put it on my gravestone. My assassin, his mom, a hoe. Your dirty egg sucking dog. Your mother's a whore. All right. A sex worker, please. <laughs> so. Mere minutes after the shooting, McKinley was then carried from the Temple of Music and taken to the Pan American Expeditions, Expeditions, the Expositions Hospital. The only qualified doctor that could be found on site was a gynecologist. <laughs> well, like, yeah, this looks like one of those. It's a bullet wound. Oh. Is, it a pussy, is it a pussy or a bullet hole? Let's find out. <laughs> Either way, like, you're fucked. He's like, but back in those days, you didn't have to study to be a doctor. <laughs> it's like but, Michael being a give doctor. Him the clamps. Regardless, any port in a storm, the president was nevertheless rushed into an operating theater for emergency surgery. One of the bullets <laughs> appeared to have ricocheted off of one of McKinley's suit buttons and hit his sternum, causing only oh. minor damage. The other struck his abdomen and passed clean through his stomach. Oh. Thus, the ersatz surgeon managed to suture the stomach wounds and stop the bleeding, but was unable to locate the bullet, which he assumed was lodged somewhere in the president's back. When you're a gynecologist, I don't imagine you expect to be pressed into service in such extenuating circumstances, but there yeah. you are. He has, like, little yeah. utensils he's pulling on his tongue. He's like, is this a labia? <laughs> I mean, I've I've been in some sticky situations before, guys, but you got to understand, this is a bit like, different. Why, why did you take me to the only stand-up gynecologist? <laughs> <laughs> Was this a standing 69, or... <laughs> no, he's like riffing on him, you know. Just invert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, hey, honey, here we go. That way, right? <laughs> hey, everybody complains about the stirrups. If you just hold them with their head <laughs> toward the ground, they might feel differently. And he's like, ah, "Stop it! I'm dying right now." It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't complain about the stirrups. I complain about the pap smear, you insensitive fuck. Like, you're right, ladies. I I don't understand. Like, you have to see this. You can see cleanly through the wound. It's insane. <laughs> Oh, it's like death becomes her? <laughs> yeah, yes. You're fake. You're a trollop, and I see you right through you. <laughs> All right, moving on. Even with the thirty-two caliber slug still inside of him, McKinley seemed to be on the mend in the days after the shooting. Doctors gave enthusiastic updates on his condition as he convalesced in the Expo President's home, and newspapers reported that he was awake, alert, and even reading the newspaper. Furthermore, to bolster this, Vice President Theodore Roosevelt was so pleased with McKinley's progress that he took off on a camping expedition in the Adirondack Mountains. You may say that I'm absolutely sure the president will recover, he told reporters. Okay. He was wrong. Uh Uh, McKinley biographer H. Wayne Morgan wrote of the week following the shooting. His hearty constitution, everyone said, would see him through. The doctors seemed hopeful, even confident. 
It's difficult to understand the cheer with which they viewed their patient. He was nearly sixty years old, overweight, and the wound itself had not been thoroughly cleaned or traced. Precautions against infections, admittedly difficult in 1901, were negligently handled. (laughs) End quote. That gynecologist royally fucked me. I don't know the the misattribution of quotes to President McKinley or his biographers by you this evening, sir, is slanderous in the highest regard. You know, I like to think that he was narrating it when you he was semi-lucid. That, he was, in, instead of the biographer, this was a direct quote. You don't that's, think that's that he was cursing now. this guy's name the entire time he was rotting from the inside? I just like you think that if you know McKinley's working on a tight five with the gynecologist while he's being sutured. What else are you going to do? Your life's in danger. <laughs> like Gotta I'm... laugh. You can't be stressed. It makes the blood go faster. Like, I know a bloody mess is what you're used to working with, Doc, but I bet this is a horse of a different color if you follow me, right? <laughs> Smells I got some extra flow bad. today, Doctor. Got any, uh... Hey, Doc, am I pregnant? <laughs> How yeah, with it? a bullet, you dumb fuck. Now sit back. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Now I'm picturing, like, Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs) Oh, I'm doing okay now, but last week I was in rough shape. (laughs) You guys are killing me, literally. Ah! (laughs) Tough room, tough room. (laughs) And then McKinley gets upset the gynecologist isn't playing back with him. He's like, by the way, your mother's a whore! (laughs) Sex worker. Please. He keeps saying that. Just ignore him. He's fine. It's, just, it's a tick he has. It's fine. Just <laughs> all right. The, the bullets really affected him. Um, it's taking it out of him. It's putting it into him. It's doing everything you can possibly do. Subsequently, by September the thirteenth, however, McKinley's condition had become increasingly desperate. Uh, Gangrene had formed on the walls of the president's stomach and brought on a severe case of blood poisoning. In a matter of hours, he grew weak and began losing consciousness. Uh, Then at 2.15 a.m. on September 14th, he died with his wife Ida by his side. That's brutal, man. And then he looked at her and his last words were, Your mother is a whore! No. No? Two Tsunami. Oh, oh, Two Tsunami? Oh, that one? (laughs) Okay, okay. Now I know the line. Thank you. I really had... I I gotta tell you, though, like, as much as I've had hand-wringing over previous installments where I talk about, like, serial murderers and things like that, you always want to have a respectful tone for the dead. And again, this was the president of the United States. Uh, and it's granted a lot more people. It's more harrowing for contemporary situations. So yeah. because we are able to talk to people who saw the Kennedy assassination and experienced it and can discuss it at length, I think it's treated with a good deal more reverence. And obviously we are irreverent to a fault and cannot be forced or constrained in order to behave accordingly. So apologies if this isn't what you were anticipating when you went down the rabbit hole with us here. But if we don't laugh, we'll cry, right? I've done it on here before. It's proven. Yeah. Yeah. It is known. In any event, uh, we're sorry, President McKinley. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, God. By the time of McKinley's death, Leon Zolgos had already spent several days in a Buffalo jail cell undergoing interrogation by the police. And we all know what that means. Snitch. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher! (laughs) Uh, 
the Michigan <laughs> native said he had purred. He had purred the air gay. Air gay purred. He had purred it. All right. Michigan. Mich Michigan. 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 All right. First day with new lips. <laughs> the Michigan native said he had pulled the trigger out of a desire to contribute to the anarchist cause. As if this didn't contribute to the panic that was already on set. I don't believe in any Republican form of government, and I don't believe we should have any rulers, he said can, in his confession. Can you read that in his actual voice? Mm-hmm, yes. It is right to kill them. Wait, that's not the that's not the high pitched guy voice. Wait, I'm e. sorry. Yes, I didn't. I forgot. Yeah, that. I recalibrated. Sorry. It's way Let me more reset impactful. Yet again. What, way I more impactful. I don't believe in your Republican form of government, and I don't believe we should have any rulers. He said in his confession, "It is right to kill them." And also, Saint Anger Snare. Is great. It's the I personally snare. think Lars Ulrich is a revolutionary percussionist. You kids just aren't ready for it yet. Anyway. And also, I happen to think Injustice for All is a shit record. Yeah. Whoa. I like Napster, though. Yeah, it's pretty fine. <laughs> Load, reload, black album, baby. Indeed. I only like the good Metallica songs. <laughs> <laughs> All nightmare long indeed. So, Zolgoz claimed that he had stalked McKinley across Buffalo for two days and had nearly shot him during his arrival at the train station and his September 5th speech at the fairgrounds. He was also adamant that he had acted alone. I killed President McKinley because i done my duty, he declared. Uh, if he were a little more continent, maybe we wouldn't have endured this tragedy. That's but he done fair. his duty. So he, so he just leaned on the anarchist cookbook as the reason why he committed the act? I mean, it's all anarchy. Okay. Yeah, it's the idea that, you know, you don't want other people ruling you, it's... Uli's Uli's an eye list. That must yeah. be exhausting. There was a lot of forest back then. He could have just gone off and, you know, done his own thing. What? Like, forest? founded a fucking metal band? Yeah, I mean, he just started a cult instead of, you know, killing a president. You know, just go off into the woods. Uh, fuck off. Be I, by yourself. I mean, I, I, I guess, but some people want other people to, you know, live their lifestyle as well. And, you know... Eventually, yeah, they can live out in the woods, but you know, things like Waco happen. I so. like. I also like that John thinks that like fucking Henry David Thoreau is an anarchist. <laughs> like ah, oh, fuck civilization. I'm gonna live in the woods. That's that's a different different so, type. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're. That's uh, basically the same thing. It's a little more I, passive. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're kind of like saying the same thing in different ways. See, I aggression mean, want... is is more a movement towards as opposed to away. I well, find. one thing diminishes another thing you, you know uh, life uh finds, finds way a way <laughs> to assassinate the 25th president of the united states <laughs> life finds a way to end uh, yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Zolgos, our resident tree hugger, was only nominally connected to the American anarchist movement. Uh, much like my band, certain groups had even suspected him of being a police spy. But, of course, his confession <laughs> led to a sweeping roundup of political radicals. In... It's mm-hmm. usually how it goes. Yeah, yeah. typically. Uh, all known associates. <laughs> or just use it as a blanket sweep to, like, we've been waiting to get these guys for a minute. Bring in the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. There he is. <laughs> in Chicago, a dozen staff members from the anarchist newspaper... Free society were arrested. On September the 10th, police also picked up the anarchist firebrand Emma Goldman, whose speeches Zolgos had cited as an influence in his decision to assassinate McKinley. Goldman and the others were all eventually released, but justice came swiftly for Zolgos. His murder trial began on September 23rd, so we're not kidding. They threw him in the stocks quick. It was a little more than a week after McKinley actually passed. And he was found guilty and sentenced to death in three days. Nice. Yeah, not standing on ceremony. Got a bullet with your name on it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) On October 29th, 1901, Zolgos was executed by the electric chair at New York's Auburn Prison. So, Shane, he rode the lightning? He did, in fact, ride the lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he did. He was electrocuted. He was electrocuted, yes. That was how he was dispatched. Just making sure. I feel like I could lie about that. And furthermore, uh, our final quote from Zolgos for the evening, so let me get my (laughs) ready. (laughs) I killed the president for the good of the laboring people. The good people, he said in the moments before the sentence was carried out. I am not sorry for my crime. Are those actually his last words? Those are actually his last words. So he quotes. went with the yes. I did it for the lulls approach? No, he did no. it for the love of the laboring people, not for the gram. <laughs> Do it for the gram selfie. <laughs> I did it all for the nookie. <laughs> Sounds like something the piece of shit would say. Not wrong. So, Michael will appreciate this, as we do love talking about precedents on this show. To address the issue of presidential safety, as we've now lost three in the course of, what, you know, 30 years? Uh, Yeah, 30, 40, Uh, close to 40. This concern, the the Secret Service was established in 1901 and subsequently tasked with the full-time protection of of the President of the United States. Is that true? Really? That, sure enough. That was the, this is what okay. precipitated that. Makes sense. Yeah. And uh, they had a good record. They went a good 60-some-odd years. Uh, you know. One and a half times okay. the record. Not so. bad. All right. Uh, okay. Moving on. While William McKinley was, of course, eventually overshadowed by his more famous successor, Theodore Roosevelt, his assassination prompted a worldwide outpouring of grief. In Europe, the British King Edward VII and other monarchs declared national periods of mourning for the fallen president. 
A sea of sympathizers later came to view McKinley's body as it lay in state in the Capitol Rotunda on September 17th, and whole cities ground to a halt to pay their respects as his funeral train passed by on its way to his final resting place in Canton, Ohio. In 1907, the president's remains were moved to a sprawling tomb complex featuring a domed mausoleum. The memorial includes a bronze statue that depicts McKinley giving his final speech at the Pan American Exposition on September 5th, 1901, the day before his fateful meeting with Sol Goes. And that is all that I have for you this evening. Okay. And all that you got was that Big Dick Hurts. Oh, yeah, that was mine. <laughs> like, I got that. So, wait, Shane, we won. Michael's so, going to pay for the jackets. Look for my invoice. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. We all agreed yeah, at the start of this episode that I he also, missed it. That... I like that I told Michael that he missed a lie and he just blew right past no, it. No, you said it and I was like, I thought that was you admitting it. Oh, okay. Saying that there was a king, an Italian king. So I felt like you were just like, I'm just going to give it to him. Uh, so I didn't say anything. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, there was a king. What in his name? Uh so, we'll get to it. Okay, okay. All right, any further stabs other than ourselves? No. Nope. Okay, all right. So, lie number one. Uh, I tried to give a layup because this is, it's a, it's a little, uh... It's a little bizarre for something uh, as a way to, to go out, but uh, Vice President Garrett Hobart actually died from a heart ailment and not a tetanus infection. Oh. I know it's 1899, but yeah, lockjaw wasn't <laughs> as prominent. I mean, that's a, that's a good well, lie, though, so, I think. So to be fair, I think it was one of my out. great-grandparents actually had... Um, tetanus? Uh, yeah, because okay. uh, that causes the, the, the claw hand, right? Yeah, the, um, no, I'm thinking something else. Okay, you know, lockjaw is lock, typically... They had the claw hand. <laughs> so he was a Von Eric and he wrestled in Texas. I got you. Yes. The claw. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got it. The All right. claw. The claw. Get away from me, you zealots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no tetanus infection. Um, well, not that attitude. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, there were no assorted biological rarities featured at the Pan American Exposition, though those, rare, those uh, rarities did exist out in the world. So... Even though John did ask, uh, Madame Gustica was actually somebody who was routinely on the circuit, as were the Salon sisters. Neither okay. of them were featured at the Pan American Exposition, however. They didn't bring freak show folk into this. Okay. So that's lies I number two fair. and three. Um, however, the 389-foot electric tower was next to the African village section of this, so it all kind of played out well in the end. And people did float by on gondolas. It was, you know, a very it's-a-small-world kind of thing. But Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, to much of Michael's shame and chagrin, the Italian king which was assassinated was Umberto I, not Filiberto Third. <laughs> Uh, we have those also. It's a great yes. chain. Uh-huh. That's why I said it. I was like, this has got to be so glaring that, that no one's going to let me get away with this. And the both of you just stock still stared like that wasn't an assassination. It's like, well, okay. yes and no. In a way. <laughs> uh, all right. Well so 
Uh, subsequently, the quote I attributed to Zol's goes was inaccurate. So what I said was a doctor removes an infected limb to save the body, and thus I too sought to remove a canker to save the American soul. Leon was a little less eloquent. All those people seemed bowing to the great ruler. I made up my mind to kill that ruler. And? Okay. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it's a lot of great quotes in this one as yeah. we move on to uh, the next one. Uh, we had a bit of foreshadowing here. And I will give you some half credit here as we go up. Because you asked, but it, in a way that was not exactly spot on. But we'll move on here. So, Fair. you did get... Line number six, which is Richard Big Dick Hertz, uh, was instead Jim, uh, James Big Jim Parker. God damn it. I wish it wasn't a lie. I really do. Uh, now you're going to feel bad. The quote attributed to McKinley as he lay on the floor, supine and staring, he did stop them from pummeling Zolgos, but he did not say, I want no further violence visited upon that man and that revenge is a turnstile no man escapes from. That is all Shane. Of course. What, I should have figured. He got shot. He's not going to be that eloquent. What he said was, my wife... <laughs> Be careful how you tell her. Oh, be careful. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> oh, be careful. <laughs> that is the, the literal also, quote. He managed to whisper as he's bleeding on the floor. My wife, be careful how you tell her. Oh, be careful. And then he pointed at Zargos and said, also, His mom your is mother. A <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Precisely uh, that. that. I think that I I didn't have time to parse anything that he said because John just Nyrom <laughs> just yep. like immediate with that throw with that line. Yes, a lot of slanderous uh, language. Yeah. So he was, uh, you know, uh, kudos to him as a loving husband. He was worried about yes. how it would impact his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's worried about how everyone else impacted his wife. Uh, <laughs> All right. So finally, uh, where your partial credit exists is the Secret Service was actually not established in 1901. It was established in 1865. Oh. So, okay. <laughs> however, it, it didn't take three times, so it the, took only one. <laughs> the lie pivoted here. So um, they established the Secret Service in 1865 as a bureau in the Treasury Department. And they were intended to suppress widespread counterfeiting. So that was the original oh. creation of the Treasury Department's uh, Secret Service. However, right. after they assassinated McKinley, they pivoted the Secret Service specifically to protect the president full time. So he was the fulcrum. And that's why I didn't give you exact credit for that, is that technically they were assigned to him specifically. And that's when the Secret Service was created to protect the president. But it was actually created prior to that. And they just kind of, you know, changed the funds into a different stream and voila. Because they're still associated with the State Department or with the Treasury, Treasury Department, right? Yeah, they're still mm. under them, right? I mean, I, I, I who knows at this it's, point? It's it's one of those weird things who where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But those are the eight lies that we had oh, in the uh, unfortunate assassination of uh, the twenty fifth president. Well, so there you go. There's a bit of history. Who'd have thunk it? I love it. Kind of felt but, nice to be back on the. Uh, 
on the topic on a little research train yeah i uh yeah. i was reading the stuff myself anyway because i was interested and i i realized i had not really other than the two like famed assassinations i hadn't spent a lot of time considering them and so of course we will be talking about garfield later at some point as well because i was Ooh. reading that so i figure we'll just illuminate the two lesser known presidential assassinations yeah. And there's, of course, untold attempts that we can talk about. I was going to say... Sirhan, Sirhan. Uh, was, that, was that Roosevelt? As Reagan. No, you're right, you're right. But also, Roosevelt had one. He had uh, an attempt, and he got shot, and he just kept talking because he didn't give a fuck. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of very interesting stalwarts there in the office mm-hmm. of the president, but... Uh, we'll, we'll leave that where it lay. I've had enough political commentary for anything. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, as per usual, we are delighted to have all of you lovely listeners here, and thank you for, uh, you know, letting us sort ourselves out here for a little while. We appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, as per usual, if you want to express your joy and appreciation for us, as we have just done for you, you can like, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. We have new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning on your preferred podcast provider app, so you can check in there. We have some infrequently used social networks that are in a link tree in the show notes below so you can go stalk us there and of course if you are over on the tubes of you you will have a never-ending string of entertainment whipped at you every day multiple times daily if you ever wondered if three times a day was too much you'll find out if you're paying attention to our stream And so, uh, we, we hope that you go and explore those things and keep coming back because it works if you work it and, and you, you are in fact worth it. So I believe that's going to wrap this thing up like the body of a president before oh, it's laid in state. He's back on the escalator again. Indeed. Damn. And so for the disinformed podcast this week, I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. That was a big ghost behind you again. Yeah, I know, I know. Tis the season. Ooh, spoopy. And with that... I'm McKinley's ghost. I never called anyone a hoo. (laughs) And with that, zippity-zoop, he's out of here.